Welcome to the Elevate Life Church podcast of the week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Keith Craft. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit elevatelife.com. If you're uh, if you're not standing yet, stand on your feet with me. We're just gonna we're just gonna put our hands on our hearts, and we're not gonna say the pledge of allegiance. We're just going to say what God says about us. So say this with me. Say, I am who God says I am, a child of God, the righteousness of God. I am the apple of God's eye. I am God's workmanship, created for good works, and I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Today I open up my mind to receive the word of God so I can think like God, be like God, and do life the way God intended for me to live. Now put your hands up. Say it like you mean it. Come Holy Spirit. Help me elevate my thinking so I can elevate my life in Jesus' name. Amen. Give yourselves a big hand. And uh, you can be seated. Welcome to Disney World again. And, and I wore my hat because um, this is me and Courtney have, and, and, the, and we'll be married for three years in October. And uh, if you need advice, we're, I have none to give you. Um, but uh, we'll be married for three years in October, and in those three years, we've gone to Disney World five, four times, and we've gone to Disneyland one time. So to say that we like Disney is an understatement. And we got these, we got, Courtney has a little bride one, and I have this, this uh, groom Mickey hat. So we got this on our, on our honeymoon, and we, and I've never worn it until this weekend. So, um, so that's why I wore that out here. But also, we like to have fun. I'm going to give this to you. We, we like to have fun here at Elevate Life Church. We like to have a good time. And so we're having this summer staycation series. This is one of the most fun uh, series that we do every year, mainly because you get to win a vacation just for coming to church. And so we'd love to give you a vacation if you just come to all four weeks of the series. It's going to be a lot of fun. And um, we're going to talk a little bit about the life of this man named Walt Disney. But before we do... I want to tell you a little bit about where we are this weekend because we're at Disney World. So uh, approximately 48 million people visit Disney World every year. And that's somewhere in the range of 131,000 visitors per day. It's the same size as San Francisco or two Manhattans. And Disney World is the United States' largest single-site employer with over 70,000 full-time employees. Disneyland in California opened in December 1955. Disney World in Orlando opened in 1971. And now there are 12 Disney theme parks worldwide. And as many of us know, all of this is built on the vision of this man named Walt Disney. And all of us know who he is, but he received, he, he received more Academy Awards and nominations than anyone else in history. Between 1932 and 1969, he won 22 Academy Awards and was nominated 59 times. He created a cinematic art form known as the animated movie and invented a new kind of American vacation destination that we all love so much, Disneyland and Disney World. The fingerprint of Walt Disney is felt, I think, throughout the world. And this is a man who said, I only hope that we don't lose sight of this one thing, that all of this was started by a mouse. And I think that's amazing. But at the same time, what if Walt Disney and the kingdom of God collided together? Because today I want to talk a little bit about Walt Disney and about this amazing dream that this one man had to build an entertainment uh, center and, and company like we've never seen before. But really our job as God's people on the earth is to build his kingdom. And so what if someone had the kind of 
qualities and tenacity and ability that Walt Disney had, but they weren't doing it because it was all started by a mouse, but they were doing it because it was all started by God. I love Walt Disney. I love his story. I think he's an amazing person, but he's just a person. He's a person that did incredible things. And when, when I hear the story of Walt Disney, I think of how this really, you know, he had a, a great team of people around him, but at the same time, because of his vision, great things happened. And he did all of that focusing on entertainment. And if Walt Disney can do that by focusing on Mickey Mouse, imagine what it is that God can do and should be able to do through us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, this is what Paul says. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, uh-oh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says in verse 9, he says, This is what the scriptures mean when they say, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind has imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And there's two great lessons I want to talk about from the life of Walt Disney, but more than talking about Walt Disney, we need to have an understanding that no eye has seen and no ear has heard. And no, the Bible also continues on and says, no heart can fully know what God has in store for those of us that love him and recall according to his purpose, that no eye has seen. Like before Walt Disney built what he built, no one had seen that before. And I think that's a great testament to the power of man. But imagine if we add God to that equation. Imagine if we add God to that equation in our own lives. Some of us look at stories like, like about Walt Disney, or we look at places like Disney World, and we're just in awe. One of the things that I love the most, one of the reasons I love, love going to Disney World is because there's just no place like it on the face of the earth. They, it's not that they legitimately create magic there, but the kind of culture that's created at Disney World is so attractive that people go there not because they love rides so much. Six Flags has rides. A lot of us don't go to Six Flags because we love the culture, but we go to Disney World because we love the culture. And I look at that, and that's on one hand, that's so inspiring to me that someone can build something like that. But on the other hand, we believe that the church of Jesus Christ should be that kind of place, that we shouldn't be looking to organizations and companies to build great cultures that all of us could look to. But God has established his church, his kingdom in the earth to build something significant that there's no place like it in the earth, that people look at our churches and they look at what, what God is doing through our families and they look at what God is doing with the work of our hands and they say, I have to be a part of whatever that is. And I think people feel that way about Disney World. People feel that way about Disneyland. People feel that way about Disney movies. But do they feel that way about the church? Because I believe that's God's heart for us, is for us to be so attractive, so unbelievably attractive to people that we interact with and to people in the world that they can't help but be a part of not just what we're doing in the earth, but what God is doing in the earth. And that's, that's the lesson of Walt, of Walt Disney to me. Is it's, it's, on one hand, it's just such this amazing story about what Walt Disney was able to do, and that's wonderful. But at the same time, imagine, imagine for yourself, open up your eyes in your own life to be able to understand the great things that God wants to do through you, regardless of your age, regardless of what you've been through, regardless of how you felt about your life up to this point. God has a dream for all of us, and he has a destiny for all of us, and he has a purpose for all of us that, that we've been sent to the earth with. And it's not to be like a small, meaningless, insignificant person. But it's to be something great and to do something great and to have great influence and to have a great impact on the world. And so in the context of Walt Disney's life, um, there I think are two great lessons that I want to talk about today that can relate to us a little bit. And uh, the, the first one, if you need notes, you can put your hand up and the ushers will, will get those to you. But how much greater things can God can God do for us? How much greater things does God have in store for us when we, when we want to do things his way? So Walt's first company was called Laugh-A-Gram Pictures. 
And he started Laughagram in 1921, and it was bankrupt by 1923. In 1927, he had his first major hit, Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, only to have the character taken away from him by the studio that he was working for, as well as his entire staff. First, the first great lesson I feel like from the life of Walt Disney is that we can't be afraid to fail. By the end of 1928, so in 1927, this character named Oswald the Lucky Rabbit, he was making a lot of money making Oswald cartoons. And by the end of 1928, Walt Disney had to start all over again, new staff, new people. You know, it, was, it seemed like it was over for him. But then he came up with this character called Mortimer Mouse. And his wife said, Mortimer is a horrible name for a mouse. You should name the mouse Mickey Mouse. And so Mickey Mouse came to be known, and, and truly the rest is history as it relates to Mickey Mouse. By the end of 1928, the first Mickey Mouse cartoon was produced, and the rest really is history. And I think there are times that we go through life, and what is, how does that relate to us? There, there's times that we go through life, and I, I don't know about you, but I feel this way. Um, there's times that I go through life where I feel like the older I get, the more, the, the more experienced I get, the more mature I get, the more lessons that I learn, the easier my life should be. I don't know where that expectation comes from, but it's so easy to have that expectation. Like there's a lot of people that go, okay, now I'm in right relationship with God. I know God's got a plan for my life. I know God's got a destiny for me, so I can just sit back and relax and everything's gonna go really great. And as all of us would tell whoever that person is, that's, that's not the way that it all works out. The Bible says in Job chapter 14, verse 1, this is just the most encouraging verse in the Bible, I think. How frail is humanity, how short is life, and how full of trouble. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you for all coming to church today. I hope you walk out of here and feel a little bit better about yourself than you did before you came in. You're frail and just your life's going to be full of trouble. <laughs> there's times when I feel like, there's truly, there's times for me personally where I feel like that because I have a relationship with God that I really shouldn't have to experience that much difficulty. And I don't know where that comes from because that's not what the Bible says. But I'm like, maybe that's, mate, God, you're for me. God, you've got a great plan for my life. So I just kind of need that to happen and not bad things to happen. Jesus himself says in John chapter, chapter 16, verse 33, he says, I've told you all of this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. You know what Jesus could have said there? He could have said, we have overcome the world, or you have overcome the world. But he says, I have overcome the world. So when we feel like we're not overcoming the world, in many ways that can be very true. But we serve a God who's overcome the world. We serve a God who's for us and not against us. In this story of Walt Disney, it wasn't like everything just super worked out really well for him. He went through a lot of failures in his life. His dad was a failed businessman in so many ways. His dad never had a company and never had a business venture that worked out for him his whole life. In fact, uh, Walt Disney's dad said to him that you just need to anticipate, you just need to anticipate everything you do being a failure. Walt Disney said that all the adversity I've had in my life, all my troubles, all my obstacles have strengthened me. You may not realize it when it happens, but a kick in the teeth Maybe the best thing in the world for you. Uh, okay. Like when we're getting kicked in the teeth, that doesn't feel like the best thing in the world for me. Like I could do, I could totally do without that. 
Like, God, I really feel like I could do without struggle. I really feel like I could become all that you've called me to become without going through trouble, without going through difficulty. You know, just like help me out. I want my life to be really great, and I feel like you do too. And so really great things are supposed to happen if my life is supposed to be really great. That's just what I think. I don't know if that makes any sense to you, God, but that's just kind of how I feel about the whole, the whole trouble situation. But so often we find ourselves in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of failure, whether that's our own personal failure or being a part of another person's failure. And, and we can choose to respond. We can choose how we respond to that. In the, in the Bible, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, um, Paul says to Timothy, he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. And so we go through, we go through difficulty in life. And all of a sudden, fear that wasn't there before is now there. I'm scared of situations or I'm scared of certain types of people or I'm scared in, of being in certain, in certain types of places. Or I'm timid, I'm, I'm, I'm honestly cowardly about certain things and I don't believe that it's going to work out and I don't believe that it's going to be okay. And what God wants to show us in the midst of our life is that there's going to be difficult things that happen. There's going to be hard things that happen. And a lot of times in life, we don't get to choose what happens to us. But we do get to choose our response to those things. And so when we go through life and we feel fear, that's not a spirit that God gives us. When we feel timid, when we feel like we have no power in the midst of a situation, that's not a spirit that God gives us. God working in us does not make us feel afraid, feeling like things are going to go wrong and feeling like we're going to get hurt. And if we walk into situations feeling that way, that's not the spirit of God for the situation. We should walk into situations and understand that God, is, that God is for us, that he's given us a spirit of power. You know, there's a movie uh, called The Little Giants, and I loved The Little Giants when I was growing up. And there's a scene in The Little Giants where this kid shows up to football practice. It's his first day at football practice, and he's just wrapped in foam from head to toe. And the kid says to the coach, he says, my mom says the pads you gave me weren't enough. And that's a lot of times how maybe our mothers have been, but that's a lot of times how we can feel about our own life. Like, God, you have not given me enough protection for this situation. I'm going through too much, and I'm afraid of getting hit in certain places. I'm afraid of certain things happening to me, so I need a little bit more protection because I'm afraid of this, of this kind of stuff happening. You see, to have power in this verse, if the Bible says God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline, to have power means that we have authority. To have power means to understand that God, God lives within me. If I really believe that, if I have a relationship with God and I believe that his spirit lives within me, that means I can walk into any situation and I have the authority to be who God's called me to be in that situation. You can give yourself a hand for having God's spirit in you. That means I can walk into any room and I don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen in that room. But when I walk in the room, there's power in that room. Not because of who I am, but because of who the God is that I serve. To have love means that we can endure any opposition because of the spirit of God that's inside of us. See, one time I was going through a difficult time with someone in my life and I feel like that God's called me to be a generous person on a lot of levels. And, and, but sometimes I just want to be generous with people that are nice to me. And generous to people that treat me right. You know, it's like, I'll give you good customer service if you're a nice customer. But if you're not a nice customer, then you don't really get entitled to good customer service. That's kind of sometimes how I feel. And, uh, and so, so I, I'm sitting there, I'm having a conversation with my dad about, you know, I don't really want to be nice to this person anymore. I don't really want to do anything nice for them. I, I don't really care about being generous towards them. And my dad says to me, something that we say around here as a church a lot, he says, do you believe that you have a fingerprint that no one else has, leave an imprint that nobody else can leave? Well, of course, you can't say no to the guy that came up with that quote. 
So, yes, sir, I, I, I believe that I have a fingerprint that no one else has, leave an imprint that nobody else can leave. Like, I'm just trying to tell you about my struggle right now. <laughs> and uh, he says, okay, if you have a fingerprint that no one else has, to leave an imprint that nobody else can leave, when do you, when, at what point in your life do you, get to, do you get to decide to change your fingerprint? Because if God's given you a fingerprint, that's just something that you're supposed to be. And that's what that verse means, is that there's going to be situations that are very unlovely. The mark of a Christian, the mark of a person who follows God is the kind of love that they have. Not for people that love them back, but just the kind of love that they walk in. The way that we treat people. So God's given us a spirit of love that in very unlovely situations, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of pain, in the midst of whatever it is that we go through, that we can still choose love because God's given us that fingerprint on the inside of us that's expressed through our fingerprint on the outside. And then self-discipline, my favorite one. It means that even when I don't feel like it, I can control myself. So in the midst of whatever place I find myself in, like if there's a wasp and the wasp is flying around my head, I don't have to run around and freak out and be crazy, right? If there's, if there's a dog that's barking, I don't have to be afraid of the dog. If there's whatever situation I find myself in, I'm, I'm in control of the way that I act because at the end of the day, God's given me that spirit within me that I can look at things and not be afraid to fail. I can look at situations, and there's so many people, right? There's so many people that go through life, they got big dreams. Like when you were, in your, when you were 18, 19, 20, 21, you probably had huge dreams and huge visions for your life. And then you go through difficulty and you go through situations, and sometimes we get to a place where we go, well, that's, you know, I guess that's not really going to work out for me, and I guess those things aren't really going to happen for me, and I'm just going to shrink back and just do, you know, just do whatever I can do and just kind of hang out in the comfortable zone, in life because whenever I step out, bad things happen, or whenever I try to do something, I fail. And God has not given us a spirit of fear. We don't need to be afraid to fail. We don't need to be afraid of bad things happening. We don't need to be timid about our situation. We don't need to lack uh, courage. Because to be timid means to, have to, to, to be cowardly. To be cowardly means to feel like going into the battle that you're already going to lose. So you walk onto the battlefield and you say, man, there's just no way. There's no way we're going to win. Well, when you go on with that mentality, you're pretty much guaranteed not to win. In the spring of 1934, Walt Disney was more successful than ever with Mickey, Minnie, and the gang. But he decided to bet his studio on an idea that everyone around him told him was crazy. He was going to produce a full-length animated film, Snow White. Walt's wife Lillian said, everything is going well. Why risk everything on a movie that could ruin us? Walt's brother Roy said, do you have any idea how much this would cost? Walt figured that it would cost around $250,000. Roy, knowing his brother to be over-optimistic, doubled his estimate. Walt's wife and his brother both tried to help him understand that this would never work. But work began anyway on Snow White. And as word began to get out about Walt Disney's feature-length cartoon... Hollywood reporters and executives labeled it Disney's folly. And many predicted financial ruin for Disney. If Snow White failed, Walt Disney was finished. By the summer of 1937, the budget had been raised six times. Walt and Roy had sold everything that they could convert to cash. And the budget for Snow White was now $1.5 million, making it the most expensive movie ever made at that time. Disney finished the movie just days before the premiere on December 21st, 1937. And it went on to earn more than $8 million in its first year, over $145 million in today's money, 
at that time considered the most successful movie in history. Walt was honored at the Academy Awards with a special award recognizing Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs with one regular size Oscar and seven smaller ones. One of the reasons Disney succeeded was his courage. His father told him that he would never make a living making cartoons. The industry told him that Snow White would fail because no one would want to watch it. Walt failed early in his career, and it taught him that you are still alive even after you fail. In fact, you can still be successful after you fail. Walt didn't become reckless. He just became courageous. In his mind, there wasn't much chance for failure because he didn't shoot from the hip. Sometimes we go through failure, and it makes us a little bit more reckless, and we confuse recklessness with courage. But what Walt Disney did was he planned everything to the smallest detail. He planned everything to be as successful as it could possibly, as it could possibly be, and he planned to succeed, but at the same time, while planning to succeed, he dared greatly. Walt himself said, one thing it takes to accomplish something is courage. And how much more does God want us to dare and to believe for big things? I want you just to remember, as we're talking this morning, we're talking about Walt Disney, a guy that made some pretty cool movies and built, uh, built some pretty cool theme parks. And I think that's wonderful, and that's an amazing thing. But imagine what God wants to do through us to build his kingdom. Imagine what God wants to do through us to allow our destiny to begin to happen in the earth, that we do things with a greater purpose than just Mickey Mouse. We do things with a greater purpose than just establishing some entertainment empire. And it's amazing what Walt Disney was able to do. But if God is for you, if God's on your side, if the things that God has planned for you, no eye is seen and no ear is heard, then how much should we walk into situations with confidence? How much should we walk into things with courage and not have fear and have power and understand that God's the one that's in control anyway? So even if this situation right here is a failure, even if I've gone through failure before, I'm still alive. There's still breath in my lungs. There's still a chance that things are going to work out. You know, there's so many people, they go through sickness, they go through disease, they go through difficulty, and they're like, well, this is the end for me. And in their mind, they're already dead, but they're still alive. Let's not be those kinds of people. Let's understand that as long as there's breath in our lungs, there's a chance. As long as there's breath in our lungs, that, that we can become all that God's called us to become. We can experience all that God wants us to experience. And in, and in this church, this is the kind of place where we believe God, God's got great things in store for us. That God, God's plan is to prosper us and not to harm us and to give us a hope and a future. And when you read the Bible, when you look at the narrative of the Bible, that's the kind of plan that God has for us. And you heard Whitney read that scripture earlier today, that God did not choose us because of how great we are. He chose us because of how great his love is for us. So God puts you on this earth because of how great his love is for you, but also how great his love is for other people, that God wants to use you to impact people in a major way. And Walt Disney's left such a great legacy for Walt Disney. But at the same time, how great could it be if there was a Walt Disney that came along that said, you know what, I'm going to do some things for God. You know, I'm going to add God to the equation here and watch how, how powerfully God can show up in the midst of that situation. Because if God can do miracles and, and Walt Disney can do whatever human miracles are possible to be able to make a movie like Snow White happen, I believe God can do some pretty great things uh, through us. So the second thing, this is Walt Disney's word. He reminds me a lot of my dad coming up with words. Have stick to itivity. Stick to itivity. One of Walt Disney's strongest traits was the thing that he called stick to itivity. And once he committed to an idea, there was no stopping him. Um, this year, so this the fourth time we've gone to Disney World, 
Uh, Courtney is just, Courtney loves running, and uh, I don't, you can tell. <laughs> uh, Courtney loves running, and she said they, they do these half marathon weekends at Disney World, which is just like, why would you, that's not, that's not magical, and that's not that fun. So this is, yeah, so this is a picture of Courtney running uh, this, this half marathon at Disney World, and she's just so photogenic and awesome, and running is so fun for her. So she says, just hold this, keep that picture up for a second. Okay, no, not that one, the other one. Okay, so she, she says, let's go to Disney World and let's run this half marathon. It would be so fun. You're already walking like five miles a day at Disney World. Like that's more miles than I walk in a week. So... <clears throat> She says, let's go run this half marathon. I'm like, okay, and this is the only time, this is what I told her, this is the only time that I'm going to say in the context of our relationship, I'm doing this for you. This is the only time I'm going to say that because 100%, if you want to torture me to death, you just make me run. That's how I feel. So uh, we go, we're going out to Disney World. And before I ran this marathon, again, I don't recommend this, before I ran this marathon, the furthest I'd ever run was a week before we left, I ran four miles. So I felt like four miles, 13 miles, same thing, no problem. <laughs> Day of the marathon, you have to, just in case you're ever wanting to go run a Disney half marathon, uh, you have to wake up at about, you have to get on the bus to go run the marathon at about 3 in the morning. And so that's exciting all by itself, just hey, wonderful. I went to bed at 2, woke up at 3, perfect. I'm great, I'm great with that. Get on this bus, you go, well, before we get up at 3 in the morning, uh, Courtney was... Uh, three months pregnant at the time. Three months or four months. Courtney's four months pregnant. So she felt really sick, luckily for her. She felt really sick. <laughs> Some are like, well, that's really, that's really negative. Um, no, but she felt really sick. I'm doing this for her. She's like, I don't think I can run the half marathon. And I care enough about our daughter to not go, hey, let's just push through. Let's go. You know. Uh, so I said, okay, I'll go do it. I've committed to do this. I'm going to have stick to activity, right? I'm going to, once I've committed to, idea, to an idea, there's no stopping me. And so I decide I'm going to go run this half marathon. We have some of our, we have some of our best friends with us. It would have been this, the worst day of my life. If I wouldn't have had my friends with me, but because I had my friends with me, it was the second worst day of my life. And, um, and so this is me, like, and, I, and this is me at the finish line. And I thought, like, I thought I didn't look like I was in some kind of anguish. Like, I thought that I was, like, being funny. Like, I had some kind of funny, like, face. Uh, but that's, that's kind of my feelings about this whole 13-mile thing. So the race starts at 6 a.m. And, again, like, I'd run four, I'd run four miles before, and, and, you know, some of you are like, man, this is ridiculous. I averaged 15-minute miles. It was powerful. Walking the whole time, almost the entire time. And I'm thinking, I get to about mile four, which is my max before we did this. And I, and I, I say to myself, okay, there is, nine, there is nine more after this. I don't know how. This is me again at the finish line. I'm thinking I'm being funny, but I just look like I'm, you know, in some kind of major agony that's happening. And then there's some more pictures they can, uh, this, this, is, this, is, uh, this is me running a half marathon. So learning how to, learning how to have stick to activity in my own life. I get to the point, there's people. I mean, it's like 50,000 people running this thing. Yeah, I thought I was being funny. Again, it was just pain. You could just see the pain um, on my face the entire time. And so what I did was, what I did was, what I did was I ran with, I ran with Courtney's bib because she didn't, she wasn't able to run, so I ran with Courtney's bib, and I was able to get her medal for her, so that was nice, good husband points for me. 
And then the, the abominable snowman thing's wearing her bib. So anyway, I, uh, I get to the point where, where I can see people as far in front of me as I can see and as far behind me as I can see. And I'm like, this is not even, like, I'm not even halfway. And I can't imagine. This is just my life now. My life is just this road. And this is, this is existence. And for a lot of people, for a lot of people, 13 miles is like, like, there was a, we had some guests here last weekend. And they're trained to run a half marathon. So I'm like, what did y'all do this morning when we were talking to him? Oh, I just got up this morning and ran 13 miles. And, you know, I'm like, like that took me out, I promise you, that took me out for the week. It ruined my vacation because it was my own fault. But I was like, oh, my legs. Oh, my gosh, this is the worst thing. I didn't want to walk around the parks. I, didn't, I just wanted to lay in bed and do nothing. And this is after me walking 13 miles. Okay. Again, this is my own personal journey here just in front of you. And if you think it's that easy, you should go do it, okay? <laughs> but for real, I had, in that moment, I had to have my own version of stick to that, you know what, I signed up for this marathon, I paid for it, we're out here at Disney World, and I'm going to, whatever it takes, I'm going to get it done. And uh, Walt Disney and has his own version of this story that's a lot more powerful than mine. Uh, once again, he got to a place where he leveraged everything that he had to be able to build a place called Disneyland. In 1954, he borrowed $100,000 against his own life insurance policy, sold any property that he owned, and even began to ask his employees at the Disney offices for money. Guess what the press began to describe as Disney's folly again? Disneyland. One day, Walt drove one of his best friends, Art Linklater, out to the 160 acres of orange groves that he, has, that he had purchased, and this was Art's response. We drove and drove out to this remote spot in Orange County. I looked around and I couldn't believe it. We were miles from any major population center. I wondered if Walt had lost his mind. I thought, my gosh, he wants to put a bunch of roller coasters out here in the middle of these orange groves. This is ridiculous. During the tour of the orange groves, Walt said to his friend, Art, you've got to get in on this. Just buy up property around the park and in a year or two you can sell it to developers and make a fortune. He couldn't see what Walt saw, so he never bought land. Art Linkletter once did the math on how much money he could have made with Walt, and according to his calculations, each step that he took that day was worth about $3 million. Walt hired all of the experts that he could to build Disneyland, but even with that, the construction costs went from a projected $6 million to over $17 million. And Walt himself ended up saying that financing Disneyland, which seemed impossible at the time, was a piece of cake compared to actually building it. Walt's brother Roy said, I'm afraid that if I'd been running this place, we would have stopped several times because of the problems. Walt has the stick to On opening day, July 17, 1955, the park flooded with 28,000 people, almost triple what Disneyland had prepared for. And over 90 million people, the largest live broadcast audience in television history, tuned in on ABC to watch the opening. Opening day at Disneyland quickly became known as Black Sunday. The park was only stocked with enough food and drink for 11,000 people maximum. The Disneyland restaurants ran out of food before lunch. Traffic stretched to get into the park seven miles. Lines were long. And the rides broke down because the ride operators tried to shorten the lines by overloading the rides. 
There was not enough trash cans to contain the amount of trash being generated by 28,000 people. The temperature topped 100 degrees and the freshly laid asphalt in the park soon began to resemble hot fudge. People were walking right out of their shoes. The news media savaged the opening day. They called it the $17 million people trap that Mickey Mouse built. Most bet on an early demise. However, on September 8th, they welcomed their one millionth visitor. After Black Sunday, Walt went to work making every change that needed to be made in the park. Now we look at Disneyland and we say, of course. But in 1955, Disneyland was the greatest gamble in the history of American business. The risk paid off, not because Walt was lucky, but because he wouldn't quit. The same mentality is what built Disney World in 1971, five years after Walt Disney's death. Another way of saying stick-to-itiveness in our own life is to say, be faithful. Hebrews chapter 11, the Bible says, faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of things we can't see. Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. Verse 3 is the most powerful verse to me as it relates to today. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command. That what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. The things that we see, the things that God has done in our life, did not come from anything except God's own mind. And we can look at the story of Disneyland and Walt was able to walk around these orange groves and see, you know, see the castle and see the rides and see Tomorrowland and Fantasyland and Adventureland and Frontierland. And and that's amazing that Walt Disney was able to see that, but God sees so much more for us. Imagine if we could see that for ourselves. To have faith, according to Hebrews chapter 11, is to just act based on our belief. And we talked about that last week, but to be faithful is to live a life that's characterized by what we believe, not what we see. See, so often, even as the people of God, we look at situations in our life, we look at what we're going through, we look at what's happened to us, and we define our future based on our past. We define what's gone on, what's going to go on, based on what's gone on. Proverbs chapter 3 says this, Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. And then the Bible tells us the secret for success. You'll find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. How? When you're faithful and when you love. When you keep showing up, even when you don't feel like showing up. When you bring your best, even when you feel like your best isn't working out all that great. Walt Disney was a great man. He was a great entertainer and he had great faith in himself. And I think that's wonderful. But how much more does God want for us when we place our faith in him? And the truth is it's so difficult for us in a lot of different situations to feel like things are going to work out. One of the hardest things for us to be is consistent. One of the most difficult things for us to be is faithful. Because there's a lot of reasons to not be faithful. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of reasons to not keep showing up. There's a lot of reasons to not keep giving our best. There's a lot of reasons to, to feel like, well, it's, all, it's not all going to work out, so I don't need to give my whole heart to that. In Matthew chapter 17, Jesus tells his disciples, you don't have enough faith. I tell you the truth, that even if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it would move. Nothing would be impossible for you. That's what Jesus said. And when you look at that, he wasn't, he wasn't being like figurative in his language. He literally meant that if you had faith the size of a mustard seed, you'd be able to look at a mountain and move it over to a different place. And I don't know about you, but I've never, I've never, personally, uh, I've never personally seen that happen. 
But I believe that God has great things in store for us. I believe that God has great things in store for you and me. And we got to have stick to itivity. We got to be the kind of people that we stick to it. We stick to the fight when we're hardest hit. We're the people of God. We're faithful people. God's a faithful God. So God wants us to have his kind of character and his kind of way of acting and his kind of way of living. And sometimes in our life we go through difficulty and we feel like, man, that was really hard. And so I feel like I don't need to do hard things. And I feel like difficulty is a, a sign from God for me that I, that I need to find a different situation to be in. Jesus says again in Matthew chapter 19, humanly speaking, it's impossible, but with God, all things are possible. That doesn't mean anything except for what that sentence says. With God, all things are possible. There's so many people that when things get hard, they quit. We do this in our school. We do this in our job. We do this in our marriages. And then ultimately, we do this with our own destiny. So we look at ourselves and we say, you know what, I had that dream when I was 20-something. I had that dream when, you know, at this point in my life or at that point in my life, and, you know, things just got really difficult, and so I'm just, that's just never going to happen for me now. And I don't think that's the kind of life that God wants for us. If Walt Disney can be a man that built a theme park and built an entertainment empire, how much more does God have for you and I when we do things his way, when we're trying to build his kingdom? God can't make me have faith, though. God can't make me a faithful person. God can't make me a person that acts based on my belief. God can't make me keep showing up even when I don't feel like showing up. God can't make me keep giving my best even when I don't feel like giving my best. But he tells me in his word what happens if I have faith and if I stay faithful. God has a great plan for us. God's got great things in store for us. And I look at the story of Walt Disney and like I said, I think it's you know, powerful and amazing. And there's, there's such great stories about the life of Walt Disney, but, but God wants so much more for us than that. When we get on board with building God's kingdom, when we get on board with doing things God's way, why wouldn't God want to bless us? Why wouldn't God want to put his hand on us? Why wouldn't God want to make impossible things happen for us and in us and, and in our family? And so, so my encouragement to you this morning is be the kind of person that you, you go through life with your eyes wide open that you know for real that God's got great things in store for you, and you act as if those things are going to happen. You don't give up on things. You're not afraid of things. You're not timid about things. But you know God's given you a spirit of power and love and self-discipline, and no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we're not going to be afraid to fail, and we're going to keep showing up and bringing our very best. We're going to have whatever our version of stick to activity is. We're going to be faithful people. We're going to continue to make it happen, not because it's convenient, not because it's easy, but because God says that's how I'm successful. And so many people are going through life, and they're trying to figure out how do I become a success in life? How do I become all that God's called me to become? Proverbs 3 says it right there. You'll find success with God and with man when you decide to get faithful, when you decide to have stick to activity. When you decide to just keep showing up, when you decide to be persistent and keep doing what you know to do, even when doing what you know to do doesn't seem to be getting any results. You know, everyone in this story of Job, everyone around Job said to Job, you know, man, this whole God thing didn't work out, we're in working out for you. His wife told him, hey, curse God and die. That's literally what she said to him. There's a lot of times in our life we feel like that didn't work out and that's not working out and that's not working out, so I need to go somewhere else and do something else and be a part of something else because it's too hard where I'm at. And God does not promise us a life without difficulty. There's not one thing in the Bible that says, hey, your life will get easier and easier and easier. But I, I believe our life gets more and more worth it when we take the challenge, and it's a challenge. That's like the rub about Christianity, is that you go, okay, God, I want to live for you. Okay, God, I want to do things the way that you want me to do them. I want to realize your destiny for me. And God's like, okay, cool. Well, 
The first day you get saved is now the easiest day of your life. And from that day on, everything gets a little more difficult than it did yesterday. Because I'm going to put you in this thing called process. And you got to go through process in order to get to the promise. Well, God, I thought that everything was just going to be hunky-dory. I thought everything was just going to be cool now that you and me are rolling together. And God wants us to go on a journey with him. But the great thing about God is that we're not doing it by ourselves. It's not, it's not one man alone fighting against the forces of hell. That's not what it is. It's us and God. And the great thing about our story with God is no matter what happens in the context of our life, God's on the throne. God's going to win, which at the end of the day, if Jesus overcomes the world, we get to overcome the world too. So I just want to encourage you. God's got a great destiny for you. Don't give up. Don't give up on what's in your heart. Don't give up on what God's given you. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter what you've been through. God still wants to be God in your life. God still wants to be God through you to other people. And how many people have been impacted by the life of, of this man, Walt Disney? It's amazing, this legacy that he has. But I believe that God's called all of us to be that kind of person in whatever situation that we find ourselves in. Not that we're gonna build the next Disney world, but just that we're gonna do exactly what's God, what God has called us to be so that generations on can be impacted by the kind of person that we became and what we were able to do with God's help. Can you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? Most important thing, most important thing about all of this is that it, in order for us to, to become all that God's called us and destined us to become, we gotta have right relationship with him. You know, I said earlier, God can't make you have faith. God can't make you believe. God can't make you believe in him. God can't make you have a relationship with him. He's put you on this earth because he wants to have relationship with you and he wants to use that relationship to not only change your life, but to change the life of everyone you come in contact with. God wants to use you to do miracles. God wants to use you to make great things happen in the earth. And I wanna give you an opportunity if you're here this morning and you know that you don't have a right relationship with Jesus Christ, you know that he's not the Lord of your life. This is what it's all about. Because when we make this choice, everything else becomes, starts to become in our life the way God wants it to become. Over 2,000 years ago, God sent his son Jesus to the earth and he was bruised for our iniquity, he was wounded for our transgressions. He died on a cross so that our sins could be forgiven, but also so that we could have a relationship with the God that created us. So that we could understand that there's no condemnation, but God wants us to become all that he's called us to become. And we're not doing it by ourselves, we're doing it with his help. So if you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, this is just a moment between you and God. I wanna ask you if you wanna make Jesus Christ the Lord of your life and you just know on whatever level that he isn't right now. I want you to raise your hand and I wanna count you in a prayer because this is what church, this is what God, this is what all of this is all about. That we've got a great destiny and God's got a great plan for us, but we have to choose to walk in that path. So if that's you with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want you to take a second. I want you to just put your hand up where, where I can see it. Is there anybody else? I want to give you an opportunity. This is the whole, the whole point of this whole thing. Is there anybody else? You can put your hands down. Everyone that can hear my voice, just pray this prayer and repeat after me. Say, dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Cleanse me of all my unrighteousness. I choose to serve you. I choose to put you first. Be Lord of every area of my life from this day forward. Thank you for, for, thank you for my destiny. Thank you for my future. Thank you for your spirit that lives inside of me. In your name I pray, amen.
We give those people who made that decision a big hand. Give yourselves a big hand. And then um, if that's you, again, this is the reason why this church exists, to help people discover, develop, and deploy all that God's called them to be. So if you're here and that's, and that's you and you raise your hand, we just have a gift that we'd like to give you. It's a Bible and then it's a card that tells you maybe some next steps that, that you'd like to take. Um, you can let one of the usher greeters know that you'd like one of these and they'll, and they'll give you one. But then also we have these available at our next steps table throughout the lobby. And also if there's anything we can pray with you about, if there's anything that we can agree with you about in prayer, those people at those next steps tables are, are more than able and willing to help you in whatever way that we can. Well, thanks for coming to the Staycation Series this morning, y'all. We're gonna have a great time. Next, next, next week we're going to New York. It's gonna be a lot of fun. Pastor Keith's gonna be preaching. And uh, we're going to take up our, our tithes and offerings, though, right now. And thank you so much for your faithfulness and your giving. You know, if you need an offering envelope, you can put your hand up and the ushers will get that to you. One of the ways that we demonstrate faithfulness is with our giving. And I want to challenge you. We make this challenge every week here at Elevate Life. Give God something to work with. If you've never first fruited before, if you've never tithed before, watch what God does in your life when you tithe. And we don't, we don't give to get. We don't, that's not the purpose of it. But the great thing about God is that God's the kind of God that when we do make a decision to give him something to work with, we believe that he does really bless us and he really, and he really loves us. So if you'd like an offering envelope, let those ushers know. Also, we have six ways to give here as a church. And don't miss the rest of this series. We, uh, we have invite cards for you at the door. Invite someone out. There's still a chance to win a vacation. We're going to have a makeup week one of these weeks, and we'd love to give a vacation away. So some of you maybe don't want to invite somebody because you want to increase your chances of winning a vacation. But maybe if you invite somebody, God will let you win the vacation. I don't know. There's characters in the lobby. There's photo booths. we just love to hang out with you a little bit. Feel free to get a coffee, take some pictures, have a good time. We're taking up the offering. And uh, they took my announcements off, so I don't know what else to announce. Um, but it's, it's such, I hope, I hope you walk out of here to the, tonight, this morning. I hope you walk out of here this morning and you know that God really does have great things in store for you. That for real, that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, the great things that God has planned for us. And that's for us as individuals too. That God's really, God's really got great things in store for us. And we should go through life expecting great things to happen. Not that great things are always gonna happen, but that God wants great things to happen for us and in us and through us because he wants to show people what it's like. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. Make sure to get your copy of Pastor Keith Craft's book, Your Divine Fingerprint, and visit elevatelife.com for other exciting new content from Elevate Life Church.